The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hey everybody, it's Rob Benedict. And I am Richard Spate Jr. And we're talking about Supernatural Season 3, Episode 11, Mystery Spot. Mystery Spot. What spot? I don't even know. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. Okay, so for those keeping the score at home, as actors, right now the score is Richard Spate 2, Rob Benedict 0. Yeah, well this score changes dramatically as the years go on. Well, we don't know that yet. Spoiler alert. We don't know that yet. So this is your second episode as the trickster. Yep. And we'll get into all of that, but first let's... uh, Let's do this summary. Ladies and gentlemen, Rob Benedict summarizing from memory, episode three, <laughs> oh, sorry, episode 11 from season three, Mystery Spot. Go, Rob. It's Tuesday. It's it not Tuesday. It's Thursday. No, but in the, in the, it's important to say that about the episode. Oh, 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 sorry. You're so good that I can't tell when you're not doing a summary and when you are doing a summary. <laughs> Literally, it's seamless. You're just mean. It's Tuesday and Sam and Dean are in Broward County, Florida. The bros... Or in Broward. Broward. Oh, Broward? Broward County. That's how you say that? Broward. I apologize, it's, America. It's spelled Broward. It's a couple You're bros Broward. in Broward. You know what I mean? It's Tuesday, and Sam and Dean are in Broward County, Florida, eating breakfast at a local diner. Dean orders pig and a poke with a side of bacon, and Sam orders a short stack. They I'm surprised across- you didn't say pig and a poke with a side of basson. I almost did say poke, I have to say. <laughs> Looks like poke. You're non-American son of a... I love that poke. They come across an article about a man who disappeared at a local tourist attraction, the Broward County... Oh, God. (laughs) This is why why we can't put restrictions on firearms, because everyone wants to kill you. Is it Broward? Broward! (laughs) The Broward County mystery spot. While the brothers search the site, the owner believes they are there to rob him, and Dean accidentally gets shot and killed. Suddenly, the two wake up back in their motel room, reliving the same moments. This time, it's Sam, but it's spelled here Seam. This time, Seam tries to prevent Dean's death, but Dean gets hit by a car and dies. Bummer. It's Tuesday again, and they wake up in the same motel room, reliving the same moments. Each time, Sam remembers all the previous days, but Dean doesn't. And he always tragically dies, despite Sam trying to keep him alive. Dean gets attacked by dogs. He gets a piano dropped on him. He gets electrocuted. He chokes on a sausage. He eats Boy, a- if you had a nickel for every time you choked on a sausage. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> <laughs> he, he eats a taco that uh, tastes funny. He dies over a hundred times. Sam is suffering because he believes he's stuck in a time loop and can't figure out how to get out. Finally, Sam puts the puzzle pieces together and figures out that the handsome trickster is back. And at his fighting weight, I see. <laughs> oh, man. Sam tracks down the trickster and confronts him. He tells Sam that he isn't trying to get revenge. He's trying to teach Sam a lesson, that he can't save Dean from hell. Sam threatens him. The trickster gets frustrated and with a snap of his fingers, removes the time loop. The brothers wake up and it's Wednesday. They start their day as normal, but when a mugger shoots and kills Dean, the day continues and Sam wakes up the next day on Thursday. Sam becomes very focused on finding and killing the trickster. Seems like overkill, you know? Yeah, well, 
I don't know. I'm ready to <laughs> ready for that to happen. He spends the next six months searching for him, killing other monsters along the way. Bobby finally gets a hold of Sam and tells him he's figured out a summoning ritual to capture the trickster. Sam shows up. Bobby tells him the ritual requires a human sacrifice and tries to convince Sam to kill him to save Dean. Sam figures out that Bobby is actually the trickster. Sam convinces him that he and Dean won't pursue him if he lets the brothers go. The trickster, the trickster, claiming to now be bored with his little game, returns Sam and Dean to the original timeline alive. The brothers wake up in the same motel room and Sam reflects on his experience. Ah, fade out. Fade out. Well, wow. that was a wonderful summary. And now it's time for... <clears throat> Give me a second. Mm. R, R, R. Rob and Rich Review. Robbie, you dive in. Look, first of all, it's a classic. It's a classic. This is one that this is one that I've I feel like I've seen most of this episode, but it was great to see it again, and yeah, man, certainly great. with this perspective of you know seeing you come back. I had a lot of questions, so I have a lot of questions that we'll get into later. But I love it. I think uh, if there's a lot of great comedy in there. Oh, gold, gold. You know, Dean dying the different ways, and I think honestly, Jared, as Sam puts in one of the best performances he's done yet. Like I love him. It's very nuanced, him sort of getting deeper and deeper into this well of, you know, reliving the, the, the time loop and the frustration and, 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 and just the agony of seeing his brother die over and over and over again. Yes, he's great as Sam. Jared is great as Sam. But how is he as Seam? What was Seam, your opinion? It was outside the box. I, uh, I, did, I did take notes. Oh, boy. Everybody grab your pillow, fluff it up, and get ready to snooze yourself to sleep. It's time for Rob <laughs> Notes. Okay, only I have two on this one. One is that early on, there's a hallway. Oh, is there? He's walking down a hallway, and I swear it's the same hallway in the Dream a Little Dream of me from the last episode. It really feels like the same hallway. This sounds like a personal attack on Jerry Wanick. No, it's not at all. It just seemed like a similar hallway. And the other is, why is why are you why do you get away? You, Richard Spade, get away for kill, killing Dean over and over and over again. I wasn't really killing him. He kind of killed him. Yeah, but do you, did you not watch the episode? I didn't. wasn't really killing him. Otherwise, he wouldn't be alive the next day. Uh, still, people love Dean, and here you are killing him. Well, I'm also clearly beloved because I am allowed to get away with it. <laughs> and that's the real mystery spot. <laughs> that's a real mystery, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and scene. <laughs> um, no, it was great. It was awesome. And it's one of those episodes. It's a classic. It's a classic for a reason. I love the idea of Groundhog Day. I've always been a fan of that movie. And 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 there's another movie. There's lots of movies that do this. Right. A movie called... Uh, Inception. There's a horror movie that does this as well that I really like. Groundhog uh, Day. Yeah. Oh, bloody... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, happy splatter. birthday to me or something like that. Uh, happy birthday to you. Speaking of you, happy birthday to Jensen Ackles, who Jensen just Ackles. Uh, recently had a birthday. It's birthday uh, yesterday. yesterday, we recorded our interviews uh, with Jim Beaver. It was on Jensen Ackles' birthday. So in a way, this podcast was done on Jensen Ackles' birthday, only not. That's right. Okay, so enough about me rambling on. How about you, Richard? What do you think of the episode? Not a fan? Classic is not a strong enough word. I mean, oh, th there are, you know, the, the, the series finale of MASH. Oh man. Uh the the pilot of ER. Um the first first time on television we saw Don Knotts meet Andy Griffith. There are moments in TV that you can literally mark time. I love all, and the progression. All your can you have a reference past 1980? <laughs> okay, hold on. Uh in Petticoat when, Junction. When, okay, when, <laughs> how about when Ross brought out the monkey? How about that? Okay. Tough okay, guy. There you go. I guess um, 
Well, hey, how about this? When you when you were in a banana hammock and and in Threshold or whatever show you wore that yellow speedo in. Thank you. Now you get it. <laughs> there are there are things in TV that should be honored and held up as 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 social and emotional benchmarks for the nation. And I believe uh-huh. this is one of those shows. Yeah. Well, one of those episodes. There you go. Well, you're you know it's great, strong, strong, positive uh, review from Rich. Um, yeah. yeah. So look, this is always this episode's in the top ten people's favorite episodes, and and uh, I can see why. Any other sort of you know taking yourself outside the fact that you're actually in it, do you do you appreciate it? You know what's cool? Okay. So so here's what I think is cool about this. I think it's a clever idea. I think it does what Supernatural does really well, which is bring in the humor in a way that also has a dramatic through line. I mean, super you know, dramatic. It, I mean, Sam's dramatic, way dramatic. You know what I mean? Right. Sam. Does, doesn't get the joke. He's but, but the upset. comedy of the way they have Dean die over and over again is super genius, so super funny, clever. Yeah. The taco, I mean, that's just classic. Yeah, so at, from an editorial standpoint and a, and a cinematic execution standpoint, the humor is right there, the drama is right there. That's so hard to balance. We take it for granted, Supernatural does it so well and so often that you go, yeah, that's the show. But dude, there's no show out there doing that. Like that's a yeah. really hard thing to, to pull off. So yeah. I am always impressed by what they pull off the the uh kim manners factor can't be overlooked the fact that he helmed it and just personally on a personal note i was thrilled to be able to work with that guy and even more so after the fact and i you know i I forgot because we've talked to so many people about kim manners and you don't really usually weigh in you're like the mr weigh-in guy and you don't usually weigh in and we get into it later in this podcast but it was one of those things where i was like oh that's right richard worked with him yeah well the part of the reason i don't weigh in i don't really feel like i have the right to weigh in because I didn't, as much as this is a trickster episode, the trickster isn't in it that much. I wasn't shooting that much in this mm-hmm. episode. Yeah. So that yeah. like, I, I didn't spend eight days yeah. in the trenches with him. You know, right. I think I did two days or something. So right, right. I got to meet him and I got to see a little bit of his stuff, but I, I didn't get the real front row seat that a lot of these actors get when they get to spend a full eight days with Kim. Yeah. I just feel very fortunate that I got any days with him and, and yeah do an episode that he directed. And I did pick up on his bits, which again, I won't repeat now because we talk about it later in this show with Jerry. But yeah, you know, I I got to see firsthand his style and meet the man and understand him a little bit uh, from a peripheral standpoint. Yeah. You're great. The only thing, you know my big beef with this episode. You know my big beef. And I can bring it up. I talk about it again with Jerry, but I'll bring it up. I was the size of a house. I had a lot of sympathy weight on me from uh, JC being pregnant with Fletcher and Uh just watching it on TV is, is still painful to this day. You look like a uh, like a linebacker. You did. I mean, you yeah. you have to watch it and go, ooh, rich. <laughs> Honestly, I didn't. I did not think that. But then when you said that, I was like, I guess you know, you just look. You look younger. Your your face is maybe a little puffy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, beard. So I mean, look, I've got no little puffy. Anyway, so this when from I, a total ego Roman- narcissistic standpoint, I'm like, eh. But from yeah. an episode standpoint, you know, look, it's a super clever episode. Jeremy Carver writing it. One of the best. One uh, of the best. Gone on to great things. Kim Manners, a legend. Yeah. And this, the, you know, you just get Jared and Jensen doing what they do super well, which is balancing comedy and drama. And a young, chunky Richard Spade. <laughs> chunky is the word, baby. A <laughs> lot of rich to love in this episode. I, 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 I'll tell you, I know I said it before. I'll say it again. The machete had a visceral, audible reaction when she saw me on TV. <laughs> and it wasn't, it wasn't, ooh. <laughs> It wasn't. Oh God. It wasn't an attraction face. It was like, oh Lord. Who's that? <laughs> yes. I you said you were in this. Um, all right, it's time for the. Uh, it's the time to pay the beard piper. That's a weird one. <laughs> That's a weird one. I was waiting for you to just mock it. I'm going to give it the Kenny Loggins and his his just vintage best Kenny Loggins late seventies Loggins and Messina. 
Loggins. Yeah, I, and I got to go with the Stapleton. I mean, I, I could pick it apart because of my own ego, but in terms of just a bird's eye view of an episode of Supernatural, it's great. It's so well done. It's Kim Manners. It's Jeremy Carver. It's comedy. It's drama. It's it's everything the show does incredibly well. I'm going with uh, the Stapleton. So that's a, a solid round of reviews from Robin Rich for Mystery Spot. Wow. So Richard, uh, you're two for two in your episodes. I mean, you really liked both of your episodes. I, I'm a lot. big fan of my work. <laughs> uh, you and I are both very lucky in that we got in some cool episodes, man. Like, For you sure. know, we got lucky. And uh, granted, there's a lot of great episodes of Supernatural, but there's Absolutely. a... No, I, we, we did. We did. And uh, I think that's why we're here today. Indeed, I do. All right, Jerry Wanick is such a great guest for this episode, serving as production designer and producer on the series for all 15 seasons. He's a great friend of ours, and this episode looks so cool, and it's all because of him. No, no, Nobody else was involved with this episode, but we've also got with us the trickster himself, Richard Spade Jr. Jerry and Rich, thanks for being with us. What? Hey! Uh, I didn't hey, realize I was being interviewed on my own show where I interview people. Uh, <laughs> Jerry, thanks for doing this, buddy. Really appreciate Always it. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. You know, especially the, the, this is such a classic. It's classic. It's it's you know the pedigree starts with uh, you know you got Jeremy Carver as a writer. Yeah. You got Kim Manners as a director, and then you get a strong appearance by the trickster. Oh yeah. So man, that's gold. It's gold. And Richard Richard kills Dean. I mean, the trickster yeah, kills Dean over and over and over. <laughs> There's again. no heart. Just cruel and yet joyful at the same time. You know what I mean? Yes. Let's dive right in because you're working with Kim Manners on this one. And so this is a question sort of off the script a little bit, but obviously you always put your best foot forward for everything. But but you obviously developed a relationship with certain director, directors, Bob Singer, Phil Segresha, and Kim Manners in this case. Did Kim require more or anything different than your other director buddies? Like, was he, was his approach different in that regard? Well, one of the main things that was unique to Kim Manners as far as his approach was whatever you showed Kim as far as a set, a location, whatever, you know, he immediately started working it, which meant like in the, you know, sort of like in the realm of Hollywood, the, adage is don't show the director your best choice first show number three then you go oh but wait we got number two here and then you just go like you floor him with the third one you know if you have three good options by the time you get to three he's overwhelmed and it's great and you're off to the races so you know with kim you take him to a location and sometimes it's just you know you you go see locations on the fact that this one's the closest. And then we're going to go you know, hop on the bus and go to the next one and the next one. And I remember we were doing this uh, big sequence and it wasn't my first choice for a location. And Kim, by the time we got out of there and I said, okay, now we're going to go, Kim, and I got to show you one I really like. He goes, what are you talking about? He goes, I have this whole sequence blocked already, you know, because, <laughs> and Kim was that good too, you know? I mean, right. Kim would get in a set and we're going to do a 50-50 with a 35. Then we're going to come, you know, I mean, he would just like rattle this stuff off. And it wasn't sort of like film speak. It was exactly what he was going to do. I mean, he right. had it so dialed in that um, either it was going to work and he made it work or, you know, you just say this ain't it. But that's a crazy skill, by the way. Oh, that's not normal. <laughs> that's a really oh, crazy no. skill. I, in fact, I thought it was a parlor trick. I mean, I'm not kidding. I mean, like the first couple of times, I'm just going like, you're not kidding, you know? Wow, Because right. especially when you have Serge and you have the other camera dudes there and they're just nodding going like, okay, yep, all right, I get it. 
Wow. And I'm going like, I don't, I have, <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about, but, right. and a lot of the guys like Kevin, a lot of the crew, uh, Dolly, Dave, of course, right. They had spent extensive time with Kim on X-Files. Yeah. So they were used to his, that rapid fire and what he was up to and um, how locked in he got. So, yeah. so they were just like, you know, they were just like, okay. And, you know, they were off to the races. Yeah. Um, but uh, that was a very, you know, you know Kim, Kim had, you know, a lot of incredible, unique uh, talents and characteristics, but that was one that um, I still shake my head because it was, I, I just never saw it before. Well, I just, I just want to paint a picture for other people who are listening and not in the industry who are not as seasoned to say uh, a Rob Benedict, is that even your best directors, your best, most veteran directors usually don't have a lens choice in their brain two weeks before the shoot. You know what I mean? Like that's usually something you kind of figured out on the day. And everything I've ever heard about Kim, what you've told us, what other people have told us is that he had beat by beat set up for specific lens. And I can speak to this about this episode specifically. There's the shot where I morph into the trickster morphs back into himself. He's pretending yeah. to be a, a gray-haired man and the boys corner me in the back of the restaurant or the back of the wherever and hold me up and say, what are you, you know, tell us who you are. And then I morph into the guy. I'm like, oh, come on, fellas, lighten up or whatever. There's a there's a crane shot for that. That's a shot that goes down on the line or goes up. I can't remember, yeah. but it's just the carrying right above me. Yeah. And we line it up and... Kim's like, all right, say you're going to say that line. So I'm like, oh, come on, fellas. Cut. Okay, moving on. I'm like, wait, really? You don't you don't want me to do the lines before and after? He's like, nope. I just wanted the crane for that one line. I'm like, whoa. Wow. <laughs> I was like, that's, yeah. that's specific, you know? Wow. Yeah. 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 He already had edited it the whole story. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And, you know, we had a lot of really talented directors. I mean, you know, uh, Richard named several of the top ones, you know, between Phil, John, Bob, you know, uh, Eric, when he directed... Nina, right. Amanda Tapping, we had some like, yeah, you know, no. we ran the gamut. But as far as like, especially in this one, because there were so many, many beats within every take and you were kind of duplicating the action, but at the same time, you needed a fresh reaction to whatever that beat was because, you know, we're doing Groundhog Day and it was just ingenious when, you know, the song would play and then Sam would wake up and you'd be just a little bit different, you know, something's off here. And then, you know, and then uh, Jensen had it remain the same. His, his response had to stay consistent yet. Right. You know, they were, uh, it was a different take and uh, yeah, that was, it was crazy. It made my head spin watching it actually. Wow. Because when we were, well, when we first got that script, cause it's all vignettes, it's all like montage, you know, it's all these little, little beats mm-hmm. with all these, you know, little pieces. Mm-hmm. And yet to keep all that straight, and, and to get great performances. And uh, the other thing that really um, got to me was the fact that by season three, now the boys really were in each other's pocket as far as like, you know, they knew their characters so well that they could basically, you know, take over each other's lines. And, and the timing was just great. And, you know, some of those scenes where they're brushing their teeth or, you know, when the the, alarm, the, the radio goes off or yeah. that comedic timing was was right there. And yeah. it yeah. was, that was really fun to see. Yeah. Um, did they how did do you guys remember how they shot? Like, for example, Dean's reaction every morning, he, the song comes on. He's like, oh, yeah. And he's doing yeah. his head, bopping his head back and forth. Like, was that the same take over and over and over again? Or did he reshoot it for every, do you know? I don't know. I, I wasn't there for that stuff. You know, and, and I wasn't either. I think uh, I think it was some of both. Yeah. 
because most of those were clean of Jared, right? right. It wasn't right. like, you know, exactly. like over Jared to him. So yeah, yeah for, but, those, for those listening, Jerry, let me interrupt for, for that terminology. When Jerry says clean of Jared, that means if you're doing a, a shot of Jensen, you, dirty means you might feel a piece of Jared's shoulder looking at Jensen or the back of his head. Clean means it's just on Jensen. So there's yeah, no not in it at all. other body tied into it, just so people at home. So it's easy to come back to that shot if you want to create yeah. what he did. Jerry, what about the challenges of making Toronto, Canada look like South Florida? Vancouver, Canada? Vancouver. I'm sorry, I have, I'm reading my notes here. Yeah, <laughs> funny you should say that because I did another movie that took place in Florida that I did in Toronto and it was- Okay, then tell us that answer. <laughs> that's that's yeah, what the question's great. about. It's so easy because, you know, the Lake uh, Ontario there looks a lot like the Atlantic. Of course. You know, a couple of plastic palm trees and it, no, it didn't work. Uh, but <laughs> by that time, because we had no standing sets, this is still three, season three. We had, we didn't have the mental letters. We didn't, you know, we went to Bobby's once every five episodes or, you know, what have you. So we were used to creating that vibe, whatever vibe they wrote to, you know, every week. And we just, and this is a great example of there was a, a really smart, nice guy at Warner Brothers when we first started that was going to make a deal with Motel 6 so that every episode, because Motel 6s are everywhere. So instead of staying at these iconic motels, we would be at a Motel 6. That would suck. And no offense to Motel 6 people. No, but um, it would have been a different show, mm. right? Because mm -hmm. the, we set the sense of place usually through our motel rooms. There was usually some motif within the motel room that told you you were in, in this case, Florida with our flamingos and things like that. Right. And um, that would have just been crazy because... It would, it would have been terrible. Let's just be honest. It would have been terrible. Yeah. You know, one, one of the great things about the sets you build, Jerry, is, yeah, they, they indicate a location sometimes, sure. But they also are like they're as wild as one's imagined can be that disco themed hotel you did a couple of seasons ago or season yeah. two with Phil, you just yeah. crazy crap and yeah. some themes, you know, you and I would talk about themes for the wallpaper and like you would have these ideas. Like to, if you just shot it in a motel, I mean, that would take a, a lot of the fun away for lack of a better term. Well, and also motel six is a chain, right? So it's essentially the same motel over and over and over again. So it's, you know, it's right. like McDonald's. Yeah. Great, great and reliable. If you're you and your kids are on a road trip, not great yeah. for a TV yeah. set, right. you know? No, no. No, you know, it would it would it would have been uh, tragic, yeah, to say the least. And then this one, we had two motels, right? So uh, just as a you know, looking back, we did 176 different motel rooms in wow. our 15 years. So wow, that's that's plenty. Yeah, that's a lot. And uh, I also, I because I, I don't remember until I rewatch it again, as far as like some of the little things. But so this was Phil's diner. You know, the one the diner they were at was called Phil's Diner. Right. Uh, named after Sugrisha. And, um, you know, but but Kim, I just couldn't believe how well he concealed the, you know, the impact and, and the stuff, the, the, the way, uh, you know, Jensen was going to die because, you know, I, I immediately go back to reading the script and going, well, this is just dumb and this is dumber. And, you know, but some of our best scripts, like The French Mistake and and that were also read like, okay, we're either going to be canceled or it's going to be fantastic. Yeah. And luckily by everybody just really committing to it, we we pulled it off and it yeah. became, they became, uh, you know, classic episodes. Yeah. But I mean, this certainly is one of them. These tacos taste funny to you. That's, I mean, that's. So yeah, genius. it's a classic. Oh, classic. it's, it's a, just so good. And uh, then, the, you know, the golden retriever, you know, yeah, <laughs> turns, totally. turns into Cujo. The piano, yeah. which you were expecting anyway. You're like, uh-oh, the piano's yeah. coming down. Uh, well, 
Yeah, but even that when it happened, because I, I was waiting for it, waiting for it. But you know the way Tim shot it. Yeah, it was still like, oh, you know, yeah. you still jump in the yeah. in the car when the when he, you know. Yeah, it's really really well done. It's yeah. so clever and funny, and not easy. You know, when you've got to repeat things, to Rob's point, sometimes you're just using an, an edit. Sometimes you're reshooting the thing multiple times and trying to replicate what it felt yeah. like. You know, that's not easy to do, Robbie. Right. Right. No, and. Yeah. Um, as we got into the story and Jared started questioning and Jensen started kind of believing him that this was, he was in a loop. Then his performance has changed subtly every time, mm. you know, because Sam would try to disrupt the yeah. chain of events so he could try right. to, you know, crack it. Yeah. Sam, yeah. Uh, uh, Jared does such a great job in this episode too, playing that. Cause that's a subtle thing too, just slowly getting darker and darker and darker, yeah. you know? Living no, that was, uh, I think this was one of his strongest episodes. I mean, yeah. you know, the scenes with you, uh, Richard, were fantastic. You know, yeah, I mean, and I think, I think, I think you could all say, like, I think I bring out Jared's best. You know what I mean? I, mean, I, I think, think it's so. really a uh, tip, that's, a yeah, nod that's to sure. me. We got to go to commercial. No, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Jerry, is it, you know, I thought about it with this episode. So there's blood splatter every time Dean dies. Is yep. that a pain in the butt for redressing your set? Yes. Always. Uh, Everybody has an idea what real blood's supposed to look like. And we had all these different kinds. And who's going to take, you know, is that going to be Randy special effects or is it going to be props? You know, it just, it's always a big bony contention as far as like, and how does it splatter? And, you know, there's some that stains, some that doesn't, you know, is it dried blood? It it just, yes, that's, yeah, uh, Yeah. it's never, never a lot of fun. Yeah, I bet. Hey there, this is Richard Spate Jr., and I hope you're enjoying the episode. But we need to pull over for a few seconds for some messages. You can sense it calling out to you. New reality seeks you. Join the journey to save Anomaly. Place where sound is magic. The only way to enter the world is by looking inward. Along the way, you'll learn potions, chants, and enchantments that will help you both in that reality and yours. So, answer the call and let your campaign begin. Featuring the voices of Ruth Connell from Supernatural and Dead Boy Detectives. There are ordeals ahead. Yet with guidance, you will face them head-on without fear. Todd Stashwick from Star Trek Picard and Twelve Monkeys. When the time arrives, wherever your journey takes you, be there with no attachments. And R&B singer N.C. Gray. There are worlds, realms, dimensions, and realities beyond yours. Anomaly is a role-playing meditation podcast that takes you into a world of magic and fantasy. You'll be invited to imagine yourself in scenarios such as learning to cast a tranquility spell or exploring a land vanquished by a dragon, but all connected by a shared mythology. The goal of guided fantasy role-playing meditations are to help you cultivate a sense of wonder, curiosity, balance and joy in your inner world. Role-playing meditation is a form of escapism and relaxation, as well as a creative outlet for the imagination. The first campaign is an introduction to the world of Anomaly, its lands, magic, and secrets. 
In the eight chapters, you'll stretch your imagination, learn to center yourself, offer forgiveness, find confidence, relieve stress, and stop racing thoughts. Your true self will emerge, allowing you to manage your goals and dreams without confusion, distrust, or self-doubt. You can find it on Spotify, Apple, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Or visit SeekAnomaly.com to learn more. Anomaly spelled with an I-E, not a Y. Seek Anomaly. Hear its magic. Thanks for listening. Now... Back to the episode. And then what what was the Cowboys versus Packers football prank? Oh, that was funny. You know, I've given the boys a hard time because at that time, Green Bay and Cowboys were really competitive. Uh, You know, they were both the top teams in our division. So there was a big Packer-Cowboy game. It was a Monday night football game. And I had the art department make up all these Brett Favre masks. So when Jensen came out of the door of um, this this body shop or whatever we were shooting in, you know, all of a sudden everybody in the on the crew had a Brett Favre mask on, and then we just <laughs> you know, go from there. But um, awesome. yeah, that was, that was fun. Yeah, and you know the other thing that would happen, and one of Kim's other real talents was how at ease he made all the talent feel. And there was a point where. You know, Jared and Jensen both looked at Kim as like, you know, best buddy and father figure at the same time. But they had so much trust in Kim because, you know, without Kim, I I don't know, it would have, uh, again, you know, he came in about, he came in, I think, our third episode and there was a change. I mean, it was really a change. He immediately got a pulse of what was going on and he started implementing what, what he knew. But it, it was really the change from the confidence of the boys and the rest of the crew had worked with Kim and everybody all of a sudden got on the same train. You know, Bob, in his episode, when the boys, um, we did the airplane deal, that was like the first time the boys started picking up on each other's vibe as brothers, as far as like finishing each other's sentences and getting comfortable. And then, you know, on every Kim episode, it was always fun because, you know, they love to pull pranks on Kim and then Kim would get them back, you know, you know, a lot of levity. Yeah. Um, but he also pulled off some of the best episodes, right? Yeah. Know, yeah. And he was really such a glue, like you're saying, that, that held everything together for these first several seasons. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the and, Brian, you know, Brian Epstein of Super, <laughs> Supernatural. Yeah. yeah. No, he, you know, and I remember the first driving on the van after Kim did one episode. And then he was coming back for two and he was going, yeah, you know, you know, Peter uh, Roth really wants me to come up here and, uh, you know, take over the show as producer, director. And I'm going, I think that'd be great, Kim. You know, you've been up here a lot. Da, 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 da. Luckily, that all worked out. They made a deal, you know, and um, that could that not was, have been cheap, by the way. I mean, they must have Peter Roth must have wanted him badly because Kim would not have just hopped up here for nothing. You oh, know? no, no, he did very well. Uh, he did very well. But, um, you know, Peter knew what he was up to, too. Right. Because. Um, the other thing that happened was 
because Kim was such a legend. So all the other directors that came up, because, you know, you have producer directors and, and directors that come up, who, you know, they either challenge that notion a little bit or, you know, who are you to tell them what to do? You know, they want you out of their soup bowl. With Kim Manners, it wasn't really like that. They just, they were just so happy to get to, to jam and collaborate with Kim. I mean, Charles Beeson was like, you know, like a puppy dog. And, and that's a big time director and a very accomplished director, but he just loved, you know, hearing what Kim had to say and, and like in our uh, prep meetings and stuff like that. And he would pull me aside and go, oh, isn't this great? We still work with Kim Manners. And, and I go, yeah, yeah, it's really That's cool. That's really know? neat. And, and I got to be like really close with Kim because Kim and, and Marlene and, and my wife, Nan, uh, we all went out a lot. We, you know, we just went to dinners a lot and, and, uh, you know, Nan and Marlene hit it off really well. And Kim and like, you know, always got along. So that, that was really special. In fact, Kim bought a house in our hometown in Manitowoc. Uh, just oh, before, wow. Yeah. Just before he passed away. But, wow. um, so yeah, it was, that was, uh, that was one of those great things that happened in this business. Uh, you, you know, friends for life and, and, uh, it's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, man. So there in the football prank you're talking about, yeah. the, when you would make their trailers up with, with gear from the Packers just to piss them off. At one point I was in my trailer and somebody said, a PA came by and said, hey, Jared and Jensen would like you to join them in their trailer to watch the football game if you want to. I'm like, well, that's mighty nice of them because I'm just sitting in my trailer killing time. I'm like, sure, I'll mosey over there. And, you know, I don't know them well at all. And so it's nerve wracking a little bit. You're like, oh, I'm a guest on the show. I'm going to go see the, even though they're many years my junior, they're also my bosses <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> so I'm going over there and I go to the trailer and I, I must have asked Cliff or whatever. I'm like, which trailer? And they pointed and I went and I knocked and I knocked and I thought, well, the game must be too loud. So I opened the door which was a mistake because it was, I can't remember if it was one or two, but it was giant dogs, giant dogs yeah. who were right at the door. And it was like a comedy horror film where I'm like, <laughs> ah, and I closed the door as fast as I could. And literally like the blood drained from my face. These dogs were huge. Yeah. And you know how a trailer is yeah. because I'm lower and they're higher. They were at my face, yeah. you know? So I was like, holy crap. I'm like, that wasn't the trailer I was supposed to go into. I don't think unless they were setting me up to die. And I kind of moseyed over because both their trailers look exactly the same. And at that point, I'm not sure I knew which one was Jared and which one was Jensen. And so I went in the trailer and they were there drinking beer watching the game and i just i literally i was socially calm to them but inside i was literally having like fight or flight adrenaline rushes for the next half hour trying to calm down because it scared the living crap out of me confronting annoyed dogs by the way i don't mean cute cuddly dogs i mean hey somebody's opening the door and it's not our master let's get angry which is why i slammed the door fat closed really fast scared the crap out of me never forget it last time i ever made a surprise appearance at one of their trailer doors there you go i'll tell you what i announced myself way in advance from then yeah. on well, and then I had to endure the Packer game because the Cowboys kicked their ass. <laughs> uh, there's no justice, Jerry. There's no justice. So, sure. uh, um, Rich, did you know after this episode, did you know you'd be back again? No, I had no idea. It was like everything else we ever did on that show, Rob. Yeah. Every time yeah. you yeah. did an episode, you had no clue. Yeah. Um, but, but I got to say, Richard, like amongst the fans and, and, and our crew, too, you know, because we don't talk about like what episodes we like. And we were everybody was such a big fan of the trickster. You know, like, because it just added a really nice element, because I think our most successful elements always had the horror mixed with, you know, the humor. Mm -hmm. And, um, right. 
you know, you're, that was such a great character. I mean, when you came back as the uh, in the porn movie, that was just classic. You know, <laughs> it was just classic. Yeah, but, they did give me some fun stuff to do. I will yeah. say one thing about this one that stood out to me. First episode, first episode. You're doing one episode. Then you get called back. You're like, oh, wow, I get to go do the character again. That's cool. And at that moment in time, my wife was pregnant with our second child. And I, unbeknownst to me, was sympathetically, like a good husband, also gaining <laughs> baby weight. Right, right. So <laughs> that when... When this episode came, I, I remember putting on the costume and getting in there and shooting the scenes. I watched the episode with my wife when it came out. And the episode, and I came on the screen and I think JC made an audible, oh God. Like there, there was a, there was a, and I go, oh my God, that's not the camera, is it? I mean, that is the camera adding 10 pounds, like a different angle and a different angle. I'm like, man, that camera is real, really being thorough with this adding of 10 pounds. I, it, was the, it was by far the fattest I'd ever been and definitely in my face. <laughs> the fattest ever been and i'm like oh my god what a train wreck and then that's when the character really landed with fans and conventions kind of started so that then to this day there's a trading card with a picture from that episode and like me holding a spike and i have to sign it all the time and i just every time i'm like god damn stupid god that's fat as i knew there's a reason this is my favorite episode of yours <laughs> dude it's so awful I mean, oh, I've got my weight, like all humans, has fluctuated up and down. But like, <laughs> yeah. there was like definitely a high watermark. I live in peace, knowing it was for a good cause for the birth of my second yeah. child. But nonetheless, there you go. There you go. it's like I love the fact that you never think about that when you're an actor. You're like, oh, I don't want to be seen on TV looking not my best. But what are you going to do? It's very different when that episode becomes cemented in the <laughs> vault of television programs for that series and becomes like trading cards and T-shirts. Like, oh, and, and, thanks a and, lot. And lucky for you, Kim, you know, loves his tight close-ups. Oh, yeah. You know, I know. You, that, that whole sequence, I mean, your noggin filled the frame. My <laughs> noggin and all of my chins. Yeah, no, you, you, you know, but yeah. it was really effective. I mean... Between, um, you know, Kim and, and Tom Wright, uh, very similar. You know, they used to call him too tight right if you're a designer because, That's funny. you know, you don't really see a lot of the set. Uh, That's hilarious. But, That's but hilarious. what you do see is is always, you know, he always does interesting stuff to get you there. But uh, yeah, that, that was also Kim's philosophy. If he had a good script, you know, he just, you know, pretty shot it pretty straightforward and and relied on, you know, the emotion to carry through. But if he got a script that he didn't like, he's gone like, okay. Time to put lipstick on this pig, yeah. you know, yeah. and, you know, then he would bring in uh, the techno crane and, and bring in his, his toys yeah. because he said, I got to do something to make this interesting. Right, it's right. Turning out, turn on the page. Yeah. And, uh, that was the first time I heard that, too. That, Like you said, with this one, the script is just so good. Jeremy, Jeremy and what he does oh, yeah. works so well with what Jeremy's created. Yeah. Again, you know, the boys bought in, as you could tell, like every, every beat they were, they were full on, totally. and, you know, um, and I think Kim brings that confidence that he's not going to make them look stupid or this is going to be, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you're right. Uh, Carver was, you know, really making a statement. Mm -hmm. In this period, in this phase of Supernatural, where Ben Edlund already had Jeremy Carver is now like landing these great episodes that were super yeah. clever and thought outside the box, you know. Yeah, the, the 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 I think the Supernatural writers' room is the American graffiti of writers' rooms, like it, it has generated so many yeah. class A writers who've gone on become giant showrunners and 
you know, show creators in their own right. Like Robbie. Absolutely. Sarah Gamble. Yeah. Uh, Jenny Klein, Ben Edlin, obviously Jeremy Carver, Bob Barons, Bob Barons, um, Steve Yaki. Yeah. The, the list goes on yeah. and, and they can't continue to uh, just show up everywhere. It's a real yeah. testament to the caliber of, of writers they were hiring and, and had the freedom these writers had to be as creative as they could be. I mean, I, I don't know what it was like in the writer's room, but whatever they were putting in the Gatorade was working, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. I think that must go back to Eric though, too. Right. Because I would assume, you know, yeah. he put that team together uh, for the first five years. Oh and, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, if, if it's anything like the free reign he gave us in the art world, then they had a lot of free, you know, you had a lot of room to hang yourself or be a hero. Right. Yeah. Because Eric, you know, if you were doing something good, go for it. Meredith Glenn, she's just shooting up. She's show running a show in London. Andrew Dabb, you know, Robbie Thompson, so many great writers. Yeah. 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 Really impressive. Uh, So so here's a question that um, Easter eggs in the Groundhog Day set. And, I, and I'm I'm reading this directly, so you have to tell me if this is correct. Apparently, the placemats have groundhogs on them as like an homage to Groundhog Day. You know what? I fully believe that could be the case, but I don't remember. I don't remember I, I, either. I, you know, if Leanne was here today, I would ask her because she did the graphics for it, but um, uh, she's not here today. It sounds like something you would do. Oh, it's absolutely something that we would do. That's, right. you know, because we love that stuff. And it also sounds like it would come from the mind of Leanne, who's, you know, my graphic genius. Uh, you know, she just loves playing with that stuff. That's so. awesome. Well, let me ask you this. Let, let's, let, I'll, let me cast a broader net then. Was there, I mean, you're not afraid to spend some time in South Florida, but how much research did you have to do in that sort of vibe of these kind of mystery spot joints to really, you know, create what you thought it should be? How much of that was was just Freeform creativity and how much of that was research? No, a lot of that was research. You know, we, we, um, you know, it was a variation on a theme, but, um, you know, it's a lot of optical illusions and things and, you know, the, 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 the table stuck on the ceiling and, and, um, we did a bunch of different optical things, um, that sometimes didn't get on, on film. I mean, I remember the, we had this really great looking mermaid, uh, that was, you know, freestanding in, in that, uh, shop and um it was so uncanny that it looked exactly like one of our set dressers what? her name was osha i mean it looked like she modeled for this thing really and, um, yeah and it was just um but i assume she didn't no she i not that she that not that she remembers <laughs> but you know you never know um, we, all, we all have our mermaid face never know. Life. but we had you know a ton of different little bits in there but then when you when you do the story, you know, because it was supposed to be scary because they, were, they right. broke in like the first time and it was after hours. And so you right. didn't see a ton of it. And that was OK. It was just that I know we fretted over that. But so part of our process is we look at all these different weird tourist stops and then we look at which ones we think are fun. And, you know, we go from there. I mean, the big Jaws shark coming out of the wall, that's very right. Florida-esque. Uh, we had another aquatic thing. Are those rental items? Like, when you're doing that, is that a thing you're renting, or do you now own that? Like, do you get stuck with all this quirky memorabilia? Yeah, we get stuck with quirky memorabilia. So what happened to it afterwards, after 15 years of the show? Because I know you guys had that giant prop building attached to Supernatural, plus you had more storage elsewhere. But after the fact, oh, yeah. where, did, where does it all go? Well, a lot of it just got thrown out, you know, because every year you because we accumulate so much stuff and we still only have a finite space. So you bring in the dumpsters and you just recycle. You go, oh, do you think we'll ever use this again? Nope. OK. Wow. Unfortunately, because somebody just contacted me through my agent. He goes, 
look, I'm designing my house and I love 70s stuff. And I was wondering if you have any of that cool 70s stuff left over from the show that I could buy. And I'm going to like, uh, no, <laughs> you know, too bad. Actually save, you know, the 70s furniture from uh, Supernatural. And Dude, there's plenty of stuff. I mean, I get why the, why the guy asked you, though, because I can you can walk into those sets and think, man, I want that sofa. I want that like you. There's some quirky awesome spaces remember the monte carlo i'm leaping episodes but remember the monte monte carlo hotel you guys built like for the for the for the loki yeah yeah oh yeah oh i mean i would i would kill to stay in that hotel like all everything in that joint i would have walked out that uh, oh we spent some money on that you know and the tile floor and all that oh that was a that was fun for us richard because we got to do something that wasn't just quirky it was very tasteful yeah And, that's um, what I'm saying. The guy, these guy, people who want to buy your stuff, I get it, man. And, it's it's really and of cool. course, you know, that's one of the one of the only times we rented some really high end white furniture. And I think it was well, I know who it was, but somebody with a sharpie sticking out of their pocket sat on the white couch, and now we had to buy a fifteen thousand dollars couch. I so, I remember that dude, just so you know, because I yeah. was directing that episode, yes, and I remember. Were. It, the order went out that no one was even to look at the sofas because it was white. Right. And I remember yeah. that happening. I don't remember. I do not know who it was. I just remember, of course, it got ruined. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and of course, what are you going to yeah. do? But, all, uh, all for the art, Jerry. All for yes, the art. It is. And, you know, I think they did okay, even with buying the couch. You know, yeah, I, I, did, I think I that did. show did okay. It did it. We we it survived the fifteen thousand dollar couch purchase. Yeah. Um, thank you for being here. You'll be back. We love having you. Um, but thank you for doing this. Yeah, great. If you're a, a fan of Jerry Wanick and you want to see his work currently, watch Superman and Lois. He's hey. the production designer on that show and doing great work. Thank you very much. Great seeing Absolutely. you guys. Thank you, buddy. Hope I see you soon. This is Jensen stopping in to say hey and let you know that we've got to take a quick break. I'm about to pop. Hey guys, it's Rob. So check this out. I'm very pleased to announce that we have a new super sponsor. That's right. Marvel Strike Force. So Marvel, the one and only Marvel, has a mobile game. And it's a comic book fan's dream. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like dr doom and apocalypse so okay so your goal is to power up your favorite characters and you complete missions and then you unlock fun stuff like gear and other resources and then you beat other players in a pvp player versus player mode such as alliance war or real-time arena so as we as i record this they're enjoying their six-year anniversary so you know what that means free stuff Free stuff just for signing up via the unique link in the description. So the anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. And if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. So make sure you log in every day, each week. You take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date. So don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code for every new user. So please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. All right. Thanks once again to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? 
What would you do? Would you go for a run, take a nap, read a book, watch Supernatural? Maybe all the above. Or maybe it's that thought that brings in a sense of panic. I mean, the question is, what time for what? If time is unlimited, how do we use it? Sometimes the hardest time for people who work every day is the weekends. When people are faced with a choice, if I've got this free time, what do I do with it? If this rings true for you, maybe therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy for many years now, and I talk openly about it. I still go to therapy um, about once a week, and it's just such a nice time for me to to have that free space to to try to figure out who I am, really, and what I really want and what makes me happy. It's super important and often neglected taking this time. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and flexible and suited to your schedule. So all you do is you fill out this brief questionnaire, you get matched with a licensed therapist, and then, oh, get this, you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge because they want you to be happy. That's what this is about. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com SPNTAN today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash S-P-N-T-A-N. Thanks for supporting Supernatural then and now. And now, back to the show. I love having Jerry on, man. He knows so much about everything and he's such a charmer and what, yeah. what a what a great guy to have on and get his perspective on these great episodes that he has such a impact on. You know? When you think about like sort of the top handful of people that made this show what it is, he's up there. You yeah, because everything he did is on camera. Yeah. It's all right there. Yeah. And it's it looks amazing. I like when I asked him the question about the blood splatter and he's like, oh yeah, yeah, no, that's that's a problem. Like do you always have to do you ever have to reset that? Yeah. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah, you know, that's it's terrible. All right. So we've got a new segment for everyone right now. New segment. Are you ready? It's Supernatural by Artificial Intelligence. Not real intelligence. So what happens here is producer Steve Hine programmed into his supercomputer this episode of Supernatural and asked the AI, which I guess is the little gerbils in the machine, to create a synopsis of this episode. And it did exactly that. And now... I don't know if anyone's done that yet, but there are these AI chatbots, and you can basically type in a question, prompt, ask it to write a haiku, provide research, whatever. Write a, write a college paper for you. It's kind of scary. But we asked it to write a summary of a fake episode of Supernatural. And now, Rob Benedict will read this review. It is, as we call our new segment, A-Hole Reads AI. <laughs> All right, so we, we the prompt we put in was, can you write a fake summary of the television series Supernatural where Sam and Dean Winchester have to hunt ghost cats on National Napping Day? This episode right. of the podcast was released on Monday, March 13th, National Napping Day in the U.S. Here's the summary the AI came back with. In the latest episode of Supernatural, Sam and Dean Winchester find themselves facing their toughest challenge yet, a pack of ghost cats that are terrorizing the town on National Napping Day. As the brothers investigate, they discover that the cats are being controlled by a powerful witch who is seeking revenge against the town's inhabitants for mistreating felines. That might be a part for uh, Ruth Connell there. Mm. Armed with their trusty weapons and their wits, Sam and Dean set out to stop the witch and put an end to the ghostly feline menace. But with the cats multiplying by the minute and the witch's powers growing stronger with each passing hour, 
the brothers find themselves in a race against time to save the town before it's too late. As they battle their way through hordes of ghost cats and face off against the vengeful witch, Sam and Dean must rely on their brotherly bond and their years of experience as supernatural hunters to come out victorious. Will they be able to save the day and restore peace to the town? Or will the ghost cats and the witch prove too powerful for even the Winchesters to handle? Tune in to find out. It was just like our reviews, only spelled correctly with proper grammar. <laughs> Uh, this episode of Supernatural was, say. was written by artificial intelligence. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> but, but you know what? Also, you read it better. Like, I feel like yeah. you yeah. were on your game. I feel like, yeah. I feel like you and computers relate better than you and other humans. <laughs> okay. That, okay. Well, I'm you're, sure. You, all right. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, but all the commas were in the right place. And like, I don't know. I really had a lot of help from, uh, the bot. So we might need the Steve Hine 3000 to, to do the <laughs> summaries <laughs> as opposed to the actual Steve Hine. There you go. That was our new bit. A-hole reads A-I. All right. Mythology. I was really excited about that title for the segment. <laughs> I, I bet you were. I bet you were. <laughs> I loved watching your reaction as I was doing it, too. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, you ready? Mythology. Yeah, you still got it, Rob. You still got it, kid. <laughs> and now it's time for mythology. Mythology. Mystery spots. There are typically anomalies at specific points on the globe defined by changes in gravity, time, and space. The most famous one is the Bermuda Triangle, where the USS Cyclops and its 306 crew members disappeared without a trace in 1918. There are numerous other incidents associated with the Bermuda Triangle. Yes, and there, also the Tahitian rhombus is a is a creepy, creepy area, nautical uh, anomaly. Be careful going through the Tahitian rhombus. A lot of, no one really talks about the Tahitian rhombus, but... I know! Don't yeah. you smell government conspiracy? Mm. I've got two words for you, brother. Cover up. Yeah, right. And there, of course, the uh, Peruvian square. <laughs> just, you know but, what it is? The Bermuda people have just had a... They've done a better job promoting their triangle. They, for, they certainly They're have. great. The, the Bermuda, Bermuda lobby is very effective. They get in there with our congressmen and women, and, and they, mm. they make their presence known. Whereas the Tahitian rhombus, mm. you know, the Tahitian people haven't... They haven't put it out there. Right. So I say, now's the time. Uh -huh. What's the other one you said? The what square? The Peruvian square. The, the Peruvian square. It's time for the Peruvian square and the Tahitian rhombus to get their day. Yeah. Yeah. Starts here, starts now. Right. We're going to start with us. Yeah. Why'd you tell the people about what happens near Japan? Well, man, I didn't want to get into this, but since you're forcing my hand, on the other side of the globe from the Bermuda Triangle... There's the Dragon's Triangle near Japan, where there are similar stories of ships and planes disappearing. Dragon's Triangle is a pretty good name. Pretty it good is. Name. I feel like the Dragons had a hand in this, though. Like, they were labeling it for themselves, because, like, Japan doesn't get any credit. Yeah. There's some dragon who's like, I've got a triangle. And so now <laughs> he gets the Dragon Triangle thing. And right. we know it's the dragon making the planes and the ships disappear. Duh. Yeah. You know, it's a dragon. That's what dragons do. So I don't know. The whole thing seems seems very heavy clawed by the dragon community. <laughs> uh, all right. The most fun ones, though, are the roadside attractions in the continental United States. There's the Oregon Vortex in Gold Hill, Oregon. You ever been to Gold Hill? I've not been to Gold Hill. And I, I feel like as a guy who goes to Oregon a lot, I should know this vortex. Well, certainly you've been to Confusion Hill in Piercy, California. I feel like I'm living there right now, but no, I haven't been. <laughs> uh, well, there's also the St. Ingens Mystery Spot in St. Ignis, Michigan. That's a weird name for a town. So, uh, what, what is St. Ignis the patron, patron saint, saint of? of? Patron, patron saint of words that are hard to pronounce? Look it up. I'm looking it up right now. Hold on. He is the patron saint of the provinces of Gip 
Buzkoa, and Biscay, as well as the Society of Jesus. Huh. Makes no sense. Well. So he's the patron saint of the provinces of Gipuzkoa. Okay. Even saying it, I don't know, man. I got nothing. This is some good content. You know what? He's the patron saint of, you're you're a jerk. (laughs) You know, another mystery spot is The Thing in Benson, Arizona. You're The Thing. And then there's, of course, The Mystery Spot in Santa Cruz, California. You're the mystery spot. (laughs) Hey, I'm about to turn your mood around because it's time for fun facts. Fun facts. This episode was shot to be a possible season finale because of the writer's strike. Oh. The episode would have ended with Dean dead. Oh, no. Wow. That's uh, scary. But it didn't happen that way. No. Jared Padalecki is famously quoted as saying it's one of his favorite episodes to shoot because he got to team up again with one of his favorite guest stars, Richard Spade Jr. Wait, why don't you reread that? I think you... Oh, sorry. Let me put on my glasses. Jared Padalecki has famously been quoted as saying this is one of his least favorite episodes to shoot (laughs) because he had to spend a week getting into the headspace where his brother was killed. Yeah, it didn't look like he was enjoying himself. But I think what he meant to say was it was a true delight to be reteamed with... His favorite no, SR, I'm not Richard quite Spade. sure about that. Hmm. But there's a similar episode of The X-Files called Monday, where Agent Mulder keeps dying and waking up to relive the same day. John Chiban, who got a co-executive producer credit on Mystery Spot, wrote that episode of The X-Files. And Kim Manners directed both Monday for The X-Files and Mystery Spot for Supernatural. Mm, I smell cheating. I didn't know that. That, that changes everything. Cheat. And they hashtag cheaters. They mention X-Files in this episode, too. Yeah, hashtag doesn't, don't care. Hashtag cheaters. Well, it sounds like you're, that's just the trickster talking. Hashtag shut it. <laughs> Near the end of the episode, did you know this? Sam takes a sawed-off shotgun out of the trunk of the Impala. Did you see that moment, Robbie? Do you remember that moment? I think so. Okay, well, this is the same shotgun the brothers found in John's storage unit in Bad Day at Black Rock. Dean's first sawed-off shotgun, which he built in the sixth grade. Man, that makes me all sentimental for my first sawed-off shotgun. And all my boys, when I gave them their first sawed-off shotguns, it's just an emotional event between a father and a son. Just an iconic, you know, tale as old as time moment between a father and a son. Robbie, you remember when when you gave your boy his first sawed-off shotgun? I'll never forget. Yeah, same. Podcast producer Steve Hine was born and raised in Broward County, Florida. And yes, sa- listen, the first time that I will allow you in this country as a citizen, Rob. And says, it was never cold enough to see your own breath and definitely not cold enough to be wearing three layers of clothing. Yeah, so Steve Hine is, is crying foul on some of the details of this episode. And I don't blame I don't blame him because, you know, it's not accurate, but it's a hell of a lot closer to being accurate than Rob's pronunciation of the county, which is just insulting to everyone. <laughs> It's a. It's literally it, why why Florida will never vote for a Democrat is your pronunciation of that county. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, thoughts going out to producer Steve Hine wherever he is. Uh, <laughs> well, listen, what a fun episode! What a great episode! It's just a just a, a classic one for the vaults for sure. Yeah, for sure. Everybody loves it. Everybody, everybody, including Rob. Yep, that's right. Everybody wins. Thanks again to our. Patreon listeners, members. Oh, man. Thank you, Patreon listeners, for coming in and checking out our live stream today and for just being supportive overall. And thank you to Jerry Wanick for being awesome and being here. Yeah. And, you know, thank you to everybody, even you, for listening wherever you're listening. We really appreciate you taking the time uh, to spend this hour. A lot of people say, hey, I can't afford to be a member of Patreon. You know what? That's fine. The podcast is free. We love having you listen and be a part of our journey. Enjoy. 
This episode of Supernatural features Jared Padalecki as Sam Winchester and Jensen Ackles as Dean Winchester. Guest stars include Jim Beaver and Richard Spate Jr. Trey, I hope you put a lot of reverb on that. I'll do it again in case you need to try again. Richard Spate Jr. Yer, yer, yer. Mystery Spot was written by Jeremy Carver, story by Jeremy Carver and Emily McLaughlin, and directed by Kim Manners. Editing by David Ekstrom, music by Jay Greska. Executive produced by Eric Kripke and Robert Singer. The original broadcast of this episode featured the following songs. Who Could Forget, Heat of the Moment by Asia, and Back in Time by Huey Lewis and the News. And they really crap all over Back in Time, don't they? Yeah, it's not cool. I love Huey Lewis and the News. Yeah, Great too. album. Great song. This episode originally aired on February 14th, 2008. Valentine's Day. Aw. Aw. This episode of Supernatural Then and Now was hosted and executive produced by Richard Spade Jr. and Rob Benedict. Produced by Stephen Hine, written by Stephen Hine and Hayda Holscher. And an edited and associate produced by Trey Booty. How about that, Booty? Music provided by Tim Wynn. The episode was recorded with the help of Sonic Fuel Studios. This podcast is from Story Mill Media. Follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at SPN Then and Now. And become a member of the podcast at patreon.com slash SPN Then and Now. Rob, thanks for joining Jerry and me in our podcast. It's <laughs> great to have you, Rob. It's my pleasure. Yeah. Hopefully uh, we see you at a convention soon. For sure. Yeah, hopefully. I'll, I'll talk right. to you soon. Yeah. All right, Jerry, stay with me. Stay with me, Jerry. Don't go, Jerry. Story Mill Media. People are like, I mean, why don't you just go outside, raise a Canadian flag? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.